0: Amen. Thank Amen. Thank you so much for bringing the music and uh, the joy that I saw on your faces. Uh, as you're seated, please turn in your Bibles to our text today. We're going to be looking at the book of Romans. We're still in chapter one, but I think we'll be finishing chapter one up today. Uh, it's going to look like we're doing the same text again because we are. Uh, But before I jump into that, let me take you to the word cloud, Uh, and I want to remind you that you're in a Bible-believing church. We are unashamed, just like uh, the apostle. We're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We only find this gospel in the word of God. It's special revelation. You may find general revelation out there. You may see certain things that are amazing. You might look into a telescope, or you might look into a microscope, and you might be amazed and fascinated but until you open up the Bible, you won't be able to find the words of eternal life. God has provided them for us, and the Book of Romans is a wonderful treatise. So, if you could join with me as we reverently attend to the public reading of God's inerrant, inspired, infallible Word as given in the originals, we'll be looking at Romans chapter one. Uh, I'm going to uh, our text today is beginning at verse eighteen, all the way through the end of the chapter. Uh, I want you to know that as we read through this, uh, this month I have been focusing, as you can see on the bulletin card in front of you, on theos, on God. Today we're going to be focusing on what, uh, on, on what God, the, the people who are receiving God's activity. So we're going to be looking at theos uh, people. We're going to be looking at, the, at human beings. We're going to be looking at the condition of folks just like you and me. So we'll look at the same passage and we'll see the same verses, but instead of looking at who does this, we're going to really try to focus on uh, what people are doing without God, without Theos. So let us look at God's word. Uh, I'm looking here in verse 18. This is when the apostle moves beyond his, uh, his initial call and his compassion. Uh, he, he has just opened up the, uh, the book of Romans and he has said, hey, I'm Paul. Uh, I'm a missionary called by Jesus Christ. And then as he explains that calling, he says, God has given me a passion to preach. I want to be able to tell you about Jesus. And then when you look at the text, he says in this gospel about Jesus, I'm going to reveal some things to you that should be evident, but it's special revelation. And that's verse 16 and 17. He says, I'm not ashamed of that at all. And you know, Paul was willing to die for this, or I like to say he was willing to live for it. Uh, He was willing to get up and go. He left his comfort zone and he went all over the place so that people might hear about Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, when you get to verse 18, you get now some of the bad news that goes along with the gospel. You have always when you present the gospel, you get bad news and then good news. Because the good news makes sense in light of the bad news. Now, in the book of Romans, the bad news not only covers a couple of verses, it covers several chapters. So when you do the reading of Romans and you get into it, you're going to find bad news, bad news, bad news and more bad news. Now, it's all the same bad news, but he explains it and he makes a case. Today, part of what the sermon is, and you can follow along in the fifth or the fourth point, uh, which is the indictment of man the indictment of man. So let us reverently read God's word. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against people. Okay? And he he gives two categorizations. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And that includes the generic. uh, So that's men and women. These people... By their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth, the aletheia. For what can be known about God, about Theos, is plain to people because Theos has shown himself to them. He's shown it to them. Verse 20, for his invisible attributes, God the Father's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, they have been clearly seen or perceived by people ever since the creation of the world. Verse 3, in the things that have been made, so that when they look around, they are without excuse. Verse 21, for although these people knew God, they did not honor him as God or give, God, uh, give thanks to God, but they became futile fool- in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Fools. Or even foolish. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. That's what they have done. Verse 24 to 28, you're going to see that Theos takes notice of this. Therefore, God gave them up in their lusts of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Verse 25 because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And for this reason, because they exchanged the truth and they didn't honor God. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for the, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. And they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Lord Jesus, I do know that these these words are not easy for us. They're not even fun to speak publicly. No way are they fun to receive, whether publicly or privately. Lord, we don't like to know about mankind. We'd rather spend our time gazing into your face and seeing how wonderful you are. Lord, today you give us a glimpse into the depravity of man, into the wickedness of man's heart. As Jeremiah put it, hearts are deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Well, God, you do. As we move through these passages today, I pray that you might encourage us to be able to see beyond the bad news, to realize the amazing grace that was needed to save a wretch like me and like us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A look at the book, and you can see that you can't go very far without hearing some things that are difficult. Even as I read this in public, I remember the first time that I read these kind of things many, many years ago. First time I cognitively can recall it was back when I was working with my father, and he was a radio broadcaster. He had a broadcast called In Defense of Truth, and it was a half-hour program that would be sent out, since we didn't have the internet back in those days, it had to be sent out by dial-up telephone. So I was the techie guy that was recruited for two bucks an hour to be able to get up at six in the morning and to accompany my father over to the studios, which was his office with a microphone on a desk covered with newspapers. And dad would, uh, when the the time came to hit the reel-to-reel recorders, uh, you know, I'd, I'd be there to hit that button and he'd say, yes, ladies and gentlemen, and then he'd go right in talking to the wall. For 27 minutes. And as I got a little bit older, he gave me four of those minutes. You know, he'd stick another microphone beside me and say, so what does the next generation have to say? I didn't know what to say, so I always said about the gospel. I always knew that if you talk about Jesus, you're always going to be timely. Now, when my dad was on the air defending the truth, This was many, many years ago. Like I said, back when I was 12, so that was 40, 45 years ago. Um, My point to you is that's when I remember reading some of Romans 1. And my dad was talking about our culture. And he was encouraging Christians all around that were listening in the the 30 states that the broadcast was broadcasted on. Uh, He was trying to encourage them to practice what we preach. Not for salvation, but because we're saved. And he would take the Bible and the news just like Spurgeon used to do many years ago. But instead of writing an article uh, in The Sword and the Trial, he would end up putting it on the air. And people could listen to it on their their stations as they're driving around. Romans 1 was often referenced. Because my dad was talking about what happens to people when they lose touch with God. Now, back in those days, 40-some years ago... uh, there was no woke movement you know there wasn't any twitter to even be canceled from you know as i said the internet wasn't even there and i thought it was pretty exciting when we moved from dial up in order to hit the push buttons on the phones really exciting when that happened made my job a whole lot easier too now people haven't changed but what our culture has our culture has changed And with the changing of culture, we get to see some things that used to be proverbial behind the doors of the closet. When when we're here at church today, and I read these passages, it used to be that 40 years ago, it always was somebody else out there. And now, 40 years later, it's probably people that you know, people that maybe are related to you people that even maybe live in your household or at least come to some of the family gatherings. These things used to be so far off, and now they've come home to roost. And our culture has not tried to put them down or put them back in the closet. Our culture has actually tried to open both doors and try to welcome them out into the public, and they've encouraged people to close their Bibles. And stop being bigoted and stop being what Christians have been. You know, they want us to be something other. Uh, We have gone so far in just a number of years. It wasn't, I mean, I remember uh, quoting George Washington in his farewell address. Religion and morality are indispensable supports. Basically, if America loses its religion and morality... It's lost. Okay, that's what what he was saying back in those days. Uh, We have moved from from that era to, you know, even our country has tried to pursue to one point when Eisenhower became president that there was a, a movement abroad to actually say America is one nation under God. Indivisible. And, of course, that's because of God giving us those inalienable rights. But we have moved from, from that time to a place where people are celebrating Satan before the Grammy Awards, where some of the statues towards new people uh, have replaced the old, uh, you know, traditional things like up in New York. They put a new bust up of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and it actually is not of her. It looks like a, a female Satan with horns. It, it is some kind of thing that's pagan. Uh, To where elected city officials are crying out, actually even this week, crying out discrimination if you even try to limit what the one I just watched, to limit drag queen shows to children who are underage. Or there's been some frustration when one of the sex education teachers uh, was being rebuffed a little because they were successfully promoting porn literacy in the public school having one of the most popular classes out there. When when I looked a little bit into the the situation about celebrating Satan before the Grammys, uh, there was one of the actors who did the lead dance, who was the Satan character, ended up feeling frustrated that there was some pushback by some conservatives, by some Christians. And so they, that person did a TikTok video. And when you listen to the, the, to the video, I saw some of the, I listened to it. And I was just amazed how we used to be a place where you, you would never celebrate Satan. Okay? And now it's not merely celebrated. The guy comes out and he says, hey, you know, stop trying to put shade on me. He said, these things are associated with the LGBTQ plus community. Satan and satanic symbols are always linked to that. And, and now they're saying that, and he says, now that we have some power in Hollywood, now you guys are, are acting like we have to sit down and be quiet. And he goes on and he says that, that, that we should realize that in the last couple of hundred years, you know, look at the progress that has been made and that, they, that we need to put our homophobia uh, back in the closet. It is so fascinating that that's even said in public. They were said with brashness and boldness. It almost makes you want to cry when you realize that they're not alone. There's a lot of people that have bought into this. Now, does this mess God's plans up? The answer is no. Romans 1 was written a whole lot longer ago before 200 years in our country's founding. This, this, this woke movement to try to give people equality or even favor, favorable treatment for their misconduct is not something that is relatively new. The reason why the newness, or, or the, the reason why some people have brought it out in public, is, is because they already know. And that's what our, our chapter says. They know that it's not righteous. Now, in this particular chapter, chapter one, Is known for general revelation. Uh, But I also want you to know it's also one of the key texts about man's fallen condition. Man is a guilty sinner. You and I have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, in this, part of the reason is that we know better. We know better. God has already made it plain. He's made it so we could perceive his eternal power and divine nature. And as I was trying to preach last week about it, the two invisible attributes of God is that God actually exists apart from creation, and that's why he could make it, and that God actually is other, that he's not underneath the rules and regulations of this creation that he made. And man should know that. But as you look there, man is without excuse. Man's fallen condition is that he is condemned. He is condemned. And I want to be able to tackle that today by looking at man in light of what Theos has revealed about man. Uh, We're going to look at the apostles' words to the Romans. But I don't want you to leave today with despair. I want you to see the hope. Remember the phrase for this year. Come unto me, I say in 23... And Jesus says, he will give you rest. So even though we hear these things and our souls may be stirred, I still know that there is hope in Christ. Okay, we're going to look at this indictment. And if you're following along with the fourth point, you'll be able to see the the scope of the indictment, the scale of the indictment, and the sequence of those that are indicted. As we tackle this, I want to start off by saying, what is an indictment? Hopefully most of you don't know by experience. But with a daughter in law school, I have to brush up on some of these legal terms, and my prayer is that I don't get indicted, even though there's some that will go out and make accusations, but an indictment is a formal written statement framed by a prosecuting authority uh, or or by a jury uh, to charge a person with an offense. It's to make an accusation. And usually it's not just a frivolous accusation, although in this modern age, anything goes. If you heard it on the Internet, I think that's sufficient proof for you to be able to accuse somebody of something. But you don't even have to have an Internet to be able to accuse people. You can just blame them for anything you want to blame them for because, hey, we're all guilty sinners anyway, right? Uh, so if they got away with something else before, maybe they'll go down for this fall, which they may not be guilty for, of. But this, this statement of indictment, God is revealing in the bad news of the indictment that mankind, men and women, are guilty and when you look here at this formal illustration or the former, uh, the former, I said the written indictment, when you look here, you're going to see the scope of this indictment, its completeness, is that all of us fall short. And uh, so if you follow along, the orb of this is everyone. Chapter 3, verse 10, if I turn over, you'll be able to see it, that the, the indictment is already declared. Verse 10, uh, he says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. That's verse 12. together, they have become worthless. No one does good. No, nobody. He goes on to say, quoting from the Old Testament, that their throats are open graves. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And in the paths of ruin and misery, by the way of peace they have not known. They have not come to Jesus in 23 to get that rest. They have no fear of God before their eyes. The verdict is in guilty. That's what we find in these first three chapters. The scope of the indictment is all encompassing. Everyone is found guilty. Now, the, I call it the, um, uh, when, you, when you understand a little bit more, there is an order of the scope. Uh, in other words, in the three chapters that he explains that all are guilty, there are four steps to be able to, to go on. The first step is the one we're looking at today, which is at the end of chapter one, from the wrath of God being revealed to at the end of the chapter where he says, they not only do these bad things, but they celebrate or applaud others who do them too. That's the first chunk. Okay. Then there's another chunk at the beginning of chapter two up to verse 15. And in that particular chunk, it's a little bit different. And then after you get that, then you get a new chunk, which some of us might might identify with that third group a little bit more. Uh, And then there's the fourth one, which is in chapter three. So if you follow along, let me explain it. The first is the condemnation or the indictment of the secular world. These are the people that have lived. They're our ancestors. They're the people that have come before us. And by default, we're a part of that, too. Because we have children and they look at us as their ancestors. But it's interesting that he says from the beginning of creation till now. So you get this idea that people are condemned since creation. Now, that, think about that. That includes Adam and Eve. It includes all their descendants down through Noah. And then it includes all the people that got off the boat with Noah. And then all their descendants as they split up and went to Africa, went to Asia, went to Europe... Uh, You know, you can see Noah's three sons. You can see all of these kind of things unfolding. And so he says, the whole secular world, everybody that's been born, gets this indictment. We're going to look at that a little bit more. They have been given the general revelation of creation, and they have suppressed it. No matter what, when you look back, God has shown it to them, and they don't see it. Now, the second group of people, which we'll look at next week, is the condemnation of the moral man. This is the first 15 verses or so of chapter 2. And when you look there, you're going to find people who have been given the, I call it, general revelation of conscience, but they don't comprehend it. In other words, you can find nice neighbors this way. People that don't go to church, that don't know God, they may not even swear and say Jesus, Mary, and Joseph in the bad way. But there are people that are nice because they have a conscience. They have a law written on their hearts that they don't quite fully understand. They don't know how it got there. They didn't learn it in school, but they know that killing somebody is wrong. That if they see a heartbeat of a baby in the womb, they know that it's a baby and not just tissue. They have been given this general revelation, but they don't comprehend it. And yet they're still guilty too. Now the third group of people is the condemnation of the religious ones. This is why I said we might relate to it a little bit because some of us tend to be a little religious... Maybe some more than others. And what do I mean by religious? These are the people that have grown up with the scriptures. They've grown up with an awareness of special revelation. They are aware of the Bible. They know the commands. They know they actually don't just have it written on their heart and their conscience. But they are aware that God has said, don't do this and don't do this. You know, in Jesus' day, we would call them, some of them, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Uh, They are people that were in the religious community. They knew it. Now, I often say they have been given the general revelation of guidance. But they have idolized it. They haven't rejected it. When the people get religious, then they say, oh, if I do this and I do this, then I'm going to get okay. If I give this or if I go here, I do this penance or if I say these magic words, then I will be fine you know, already, that takes you to some of the churches and some of the religions and some of the patterns that either you saw in your past or you even see some people doing today. Now, I have to tell you that all these outward expressions of good things are good, but don't idolize them because they will never get you a not guilty verdict. If you have all the rules and regulations and you try your best to keep every one of them, guess what's going to happen at the final day when you stand before God the Father? guilty. You did not keep all the law. There's no way that we can. And these religious people try to get a righteousness of their own by law keeping. And it's so sad. And that, that's why when you finish up chapter two, you get to chapter three. And that's where the condemnation of the whole world happens, where they have been given general revelation of living and have nothing to offer but their own lives. Remember what the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. This is what happens to the the natural man. When we stand before God, we have nothing to say. We can give him our record, whether we try really hard or whether we just have a good conscience and we're nice people, or whether we just do eat, drink, and be merry like they did in chapter 1. No matter what, we stand before God guilty. That's the bad news. And this is why the people in Rome needed to hear it. They needed to understand this scope. Now, this is not new for the people in Rome. If you will follow along with me with Psalm 14. Psalm 14, uh, the psalmist tells us these very same words. And when you hear them, the fool says in his heart, Oh, you should answer that with me. The fool says what? They basically function as if they're ungodly, there is no God. This is the way it was in the days of Noah when people were having their thoughts and intents being evil continually. They didn't care about God. They didn't know about God. The idea of God was such a foreign thought to them that they laughed at the guy who preached for 100 years about God. Especially about a God that told him to build a boat on dry land. Because they're looking at him saying, that's pretty stupid. You know, this this thing will never float because it'll never get to water. It's very interesting to see how they, people who don't have a God consciousness are. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abomin- abominable deeds. There is none who does good. Verse 2 of Psalm 14. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of men. So God from his place in heaven looks upon mankind to see if there are any who understand, to see if there are any that seek after God. And what does God see? Verse 3. They all have turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good. There is not even one born of men. By ordinary generation. Now, in Psalm 53, the same psalmist gives us another phrase. Uh, he, when he's out there playing music with the sheep and he sees how dumb the sheep are and he sees how dependent the sheep are. Look again. He says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable deeds. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven on the children of men to see if they are. I mean, when you look away, he says they have all fallen away. Now, I want to take you to one more passage that's a little different in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, verses 6 and 7. You know this. All we like sheep have gone astray. Now, in Sunday school class, we've been talking about how we operate. Did we go astray because somebody made us? Did they put a gun at our back? Did did our parents teach us to go astray? You go wrong way. We all have gone astray because we want to. We're all led away by our lusts, as James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 talks about. We have turned, everyone has turned to his own way. This fits what the book of Judges says. The people do what's right in their own eyes. You and I do what's right in our own eyes when we don't trust in the Lord and don't meditate on his word day and night. When we are... uh, Leaning on our own understanding. We're not trusting him. We follow our own way. The the verse six goes on to say, and the Lord had to lay on him, that is the lamb of God, the iniquity of us all. And that's why Jesus was oppressed. Verse seven, he was afflicted, but he opened not his mouth. He was the lamb that was to be led to the slaughter like a sheep before his shearers. He didn't open his mouth. He didn't stop. He was the only one who was sinless. He was the only one that did not deserve the indictment of guilty. Now, that's why when I look at this, the, the scope of the indictment is that it's bad news for everyone. All of our ancestors, they they had revelation from God, they should have known better, but they all suppressed the truth. They they would rather believe a lie. The scale of this is a point two. The scale of this indictment is the consequences. And when I think of a scale, I'm picturing, uh, you know, that, 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 that thing that has two, two balancing plates. You see that, that picture on the Supreme Court, the scale of justice. Now, when I think of the scale here, um, I can tell you that they are found guilty because the judge looks at this and he sees the measurement and he says, man, they have missed the mark. And that's why when I'm here, the scale of justice is who is making the charge, Ironically, it's not just simply a prosecutor. The prosecutor happens to be God who knows all the evidence. He knows the thoughts and intents of our hearts. So God has already said that his wrath is going to be poured out against this injustice. And that's why you see his wrath is literally justice. And that's something that many of us miss. When you go to to, uh, chapter 1, you see the the word for God is justice. Uh, As we said, uh, not logos, but the word for God is theos. And when God actually says that he's got wrath, we don't understand, but he's actually just telling us he's being just. You remember in Romans 12, it says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. God is telling us to not try to bring justice upon people ourselves. He says he'll do the justice. Now, many of us are impatient with God because when injustices happen, we would prefer that he step up to the plate and fix it immediately. I'm not sure that we all want him to do Acts 5 justice. You know what I'm talking about there? Ananias and Sapphira, they were church people. They put a lot of money into the plate when it was passed, um, but they had sin in their heart and they were faking it. And so when they got justice, guess what happened? Down they go. And I'm not just talking about falling down steps. Uh, They were that they one died and the next one came in and validated the same storyline. And that down that one went and they had two funerals. And fear came over everybody in the church because the wrath of God was coming down on the people. Now, that's serious stuff. Justice was served. The scale of justice in this particular instance is pretty significant the wrath of God or the justice of God is going to be poured out. Because what does every sin deserve? It deserves God's wrath. Okay, that's why the wages of sin is death. It, that's what the wrath of God brings, is a cutting off of our relationship with God's grace. We don't get cut off from God because nowhere we can we get away from God. But hell is simply where God's grace doesn't reach you anymore. It's where God's justice is served. And it comes across as being wrath because God is perfect and he's holy, he's other. And when he brings wrath down, it's not because he has just got a bad attitude that some of Xanax will fix God is bringing down justice on people and His timing, because He chose to do it, because He will by no means clear the guilty. His character demands it. So the wrath of God is going to be poured out. Now, when when Paul is writing this, the wrath of God has already been mentioned a few times in John chapter three, verse thirty-six, uh, which is right after John three sixteen. A few verses later, there already is a condemnation. You're already condemned. The wrath of God is already poured out on you if you are not born again. Jesus had already said about the wrath of God. So this is not new. This is talking about justice. If you haven't been born again, you will suffer this consequence. If I go to Matthew 27, verse verse 46, Matthew 27 is also another place where the wrath of God was poured out. And let me tell you, if you had been there, this is on top of Golgotha's Hill. It's not a pretty sight. We have a pretty cross over here with a white wrap around it. Imagine gazing up and seeing the King of Glory hoisted up on that cruel cross. The people have just shouted, crucify him. Pilate washed his hands of it. And the Roman soldiers are carrying out the orders to execute this man. Jesus has already been flogged. So much blood has already been lost that he is barely able to get there himself. He falls down at the weight of the crossbeam. And when they finally put him up there, he has just enough strength to be able to tell us what's going on. My God, my God, why are you forsaking me by pouring out your wrath upon me? Jesus was not confused as I preach every Good Friday, he was letting us know that he understood what he was doing. He was taking the wrath of God that was due for you and me, and he was having it poured out on him. And it wasn't just for a moment in time. It was an infinite pouring out because God is an infinite God and Christ is an infinite God. And so the infinite wrath of God was poured out infinitely. What we deserve for eternity. You can also see that the wrath of God is poured out into this broken world. Now, in Sunday school, we're talking about secondary causes and some of the things that happen in this life. And sometimes we get mad at God because he doesn't do things the way we want him to do. And so when we talked about it, it's really interesting. What would would it take for you to get on your knees in prayer today? If you got a cancer diagnosis... What if one of your loved ones was in a car accident with a tube down their chest? Maybe if somebody dropped an atomic bomb somewhere close, would you be on your knees then? What would make us to to fall on our knees and run to God? It's really, really interesting that when you understand man's condition, the wrath of God is simply justice being served. And we don't have to fear it if we are on the other side of it. But the wrath of God, according to Romans 1, verse 20, is, is due. The scale of justice, as I said, demands it. Uh, we're without excuse for the invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature. They've been clearly perceived by man ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. And people are without excuse. In chapter 2, verse 1, he echoes the same message. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you, you who judge. For in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice these very things. Hey, this is bad news, I know. But if you start pointing the people at folks, remember what the saying is? How many fingers are pointing back at you? Okay. You're guilty probably of the same thing. You just packaged it a little different. You know, because if you really go at it, why do people lie? It's to cover up the truth or to make themselves look better. That's what we do, too. How many of you go around making sure that everybody knows how truly bad you are? Well, if you did, we'd probably want to call you a fool, but you don't want to call someone a fool because that would mean you're condemning them and judging them, too. But all of us function these ways. We have a broken world, and that's why when you look here, the wrath of God is revealed in this broken world. We look around, and it's a mess. You turn on the news, and that's why they make money, because they just tell us about all the bad things that are going on. I'm not sure that any of us could turn on a station and listen to a half an hour of good news. I can't even imagine it. I mean, I think I got to get to heaven to be able to have a half an hour's worth of all just good, 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 good. That's not being boastful, arrogant. That's not being manipulative or deceived, or that's not just covering something up or spinning it a certain way. It's pretty interesting that we live in a broken, fallen world, and part of the wrath of God allows this, because because in Galatians six it says, um, if you sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption, and we have a corrupted world. A lot of people have sown to the flesh. The wrath of God and the scale of justice has already come out, and that's why we see in verses 24 to 32 a withdrawal of God's grace. The judge who is bringing this indictment is saying, hey, you are guilty, and I'm pulling back my grace from you. Three times he mentions it uh, in verses 24, verse 26, and verse 28. I wanted you to see this because this is all a part of his argument. The judge, God himself, Theos, is telling us that since the indictment is is genuine, that God has pulled back not one level, not just two levels, but he pulls back three levels, and he leaves people to be free. Now, people think they're free. I can do whatever I want. I can go whatever bathroom I want to go into. I can choose whatever identity I want. I can check whatever box when I'm going to this school. I can do what I want to do. God gives them that sense that they think they're free. But really, they're in bondage to their own thinking. Now, look at the three things that he gives them up. In verse 24, there's no more restraint of their heart. In verse 26, there's no more restraints of their bodies. And in verse 28, there's no more restraint of their mind. Now, if you see these tri-perspectival points, which I always like to see, the first one in verse 24, therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts. He brings in the idea of their heart to impurity of, the, of, of what's going on. Now, it's really, really interesting that, that when you see this indictment, They'd, they'd rather love the created world rather than to love God. They look for things on this earth to love and to break the first commandment. You know the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And that's why these people are in this world that are part of this uh, from, from our ancestors, they're always looking for something to replace God, a small g, if you will. They want to have other little gods. And how do they have other little gods? They make them up or they look around and they give credit or they give uh, their worthiness, uh, their time and their energy and even their offerings to things that are man-made, to four-footed creatures, to, to winged birds, and even to resemble man and in some cases to even put man on a pedestal. Or in today's world, to put women on the pedestal. We worship the created things. Instead of the creator. That's the, that God gives them up to the lust of their hearts and they exchange the truth of God for a lie. They worship the creature. Now, the second thing that when God pulls back his grace, it has to do with their, uh, what I called their bodies. In verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Now, you might say that that's their heart, but look at how it's explained. For their women exchanged the natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations. So the whole point of verse 26 is about natural relations. What is natural relations? It's sex. I can't believe I said it in church. You know, everybody that's here got here because of sex. There's not one person that's here that that just was an accident. Now, you may not have been thought of, and it may not have been ideal timing, but this interesting thing about natural relations is something that God himself established, and it's not bad, and it's not evil, and it's not even supposed to be tarnished. Yes, I believe it ought to be hidden from, from children till they're of age. And I believe that the school system certainly should not be teaching people all about it. I believe that moms and dads are supposed to train their children in the way it should go. I think that parents would do well if they heeded Scripture and made sure that their children stayed away from this, as Hebrews 13.4 says, that they wouldn't keep sex in its boundaries uh, inside the marriage bed, and that's where it should be Only. Now, when you look here, this dishonorable passions is to do these things which are contrary to nature, and they're consumed with their passion for one another, and they have shameless acts. Now, when you start realizing this, this is not just God giving them over so that they, they, they have a heart for the created things. No, they actually are saying, hey, this body I have that I'm a steward of, according to 1 Corinthians 6, that, I'm a, that, that, that it's a temple of the Holy Ghost, you know, because God... Gave us this vessel to take care of, to be a good steward of. We're not supposed to abuse it. We're not supposed to take bad things into it. And we're supposed to take care of it. It's supposed to last us this lifetime. It's almost like God gave us a car, a vehicle. And this car is supposed to last through the number of years that God's given you or the number of days. And take care of it to the best of your ability. Change the oil. Make sure you put gas in it and change, you know, change the brakes. All the things that need to happen in order to keep that vehicle going. We're supposed to do it. But in this particular case, the people say, oh, no, that car, we're going to try to turn it into a four-wheeler. Or we're going to try to make it go do this and do this. And they're doing things that it wasn't designed to do. Shameless acts. That's what they do with their body. Now, the third thing in verse 28, which we sometimes miss, is there's no more restraint of their mind. Their mind. Now, if you look at verse 28, they did not see fit to acknowledge God. And so God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Now, he causes them to have thoughts that are devoid of God. In other words, when God pulls back his grace, now the only thing that they're listening to, the voices of this world keep telling them, there is no God, there is no God, you can do what you want. The church is patriarchal, the church is mean, the church is bigoted. Don't listen to them anymore. And that's what's going on. A debased mind is prevalent in our culture. Now, when you see that, you've got the heart that now loves the created things rather than the creature. You have the the debaseness of the bodies that are now being done doing shameful things that I don't even want to speak about in public, much less in church from the pulpit. And then thirdly, their, their base mind, that their mind is now devoid from godly high thoughts. You know, this is why Paul had to go preach to the Romans, because they needed to hear the truth, because God had already withdrawn so much that Rome was falling. And we all know that Rome fell. just a a number of years later, just like the direction our country is going when people do what's right in their own eyes and they abandon morality and religion. Now, point three, this is where it gets a little bit heavy. The sequence, the point that I'm making here, the sequence of the indicted. Now, God has already brought an indictment. He's written it down. He says, you guys are guilty. He's got the four levels that he's going to give. And then we got a glimpse of the judge and his scale of justice and how he operates amongst all these people that are sinners. But look at the sequence. There's two lists that he gives us. The first list is a list of seven, and it's like falling into a pit. You fall down, down, down. It's like going down steps, step one, two, three, four, until you're down there. Then at the end of the chapter, he gives us a list of 12, or I might argue 13 things. And I want to walk through them with you so you can be able to see it. The descent into this pit. It reminds me again of of the, uh, I guess his name is Sam Smith of TikTok, where he ends up saying, uh, you know, he's surrounded by long-haired accolades and identical red sheaths. He kicked off this performance in an outfit of latex and a devil horn top hat. A Grammy description, uh, he goes on to say that they had she-devils out there where a wall of fire erupts in behind them. Now, as I read this kind of stuff, I'm like, no way. You don't even find this kind of stuff in in Fifty Shades of Grey. So much evil. The descent into this pit. If you'll follow along with me, you'll see that there were seven points in verse 21, you can see the list. I'm just going to, uh, to read them, and then I'll, I'll highlight what, they, what the list is. For although they didn't know God, that's number one. They did not honor God as God, that's two. They did not give thanks to God, that's three. They, they became fool, futile in their thinking, that's four. Number five, they beca- their hearts were darkened, that's six. Number seven, they claimed to be wise and became fools. Now, let me explain how that unfolded. The first thing is, they knew God, but they refused to honor God. There's a lot of people out here because of general revelation, know that you're not God, so there is another being. There is something that got us here. Now, it's really sad when the scientists will try to tell you, well, it's just a Big Bang God. In other words, they can't use the word God, so they just call it a Big Bang. It all just, poof, appeared. And it just randomly and and mutatedly, it just got... To where it got. And it probably took billions and billions of years to be able to do this because it had to, by natural selection, figure out which ones it wanted to keep and which ones it wanted to let go. But of course, it doesn't have a mind and it doesn't have a will. It just does. Now, do you hear what I'm saying? It's almost like watching Star Wars when they said, may the force be with you. And then they say, but the will of the force. It's for you to go here, Luke. Or it's for you to do this, Obi-Wan Kenobi. How can something that doesn't have personhood have personhood? They always are trying to figure out a God. And that's why it says, although they knew about God, they they don't honor God as God. They come up with these alternatives, these these phony things. Uh, Number two, they are not thankful for God's goodness to them. Are you thankful? How often do you say grace before your meals? We have our little little granddaughter at the table yesterday, and we say, it's time to pray. You know what immediately happens? And then you know what immediately happens after that? Hands go down, and she looks at us. I cheated. I opened my eyes during prayer. It's so cute to see her. I don't know if she knows God. But we need to be thankful to God for the goodness that he has given to us. If you're here in church today and we're dealing with heat instead of air conditioning, you're dealing with transportation, can you imagine even 150 years ago what it would take for you to get to church this morning? It's amazing. All the goodnesses, the the, the luxuries that we enjoy. The third thing is they began speculating foolishly. They had vain reasoning. Because they didn't have God to thank, then they took God out of that equation, and then their thinking becomes vain. It just is like spinning, 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 spinning. Why do you make a lot of money? You know, you're going. To, you can't take it with you. Do you understand the futility? If you want to be a billion billionaire or whatever the next thing is, a trillionaire. How much money is enough? I think they asked that of Rockefeller, who was the richest man of his day. And he says, just a little bit more. You see, vain reasoning captures them because they don't have a purpose from God. The third thing, their minds become senseless and darkened. It says that their their futile thinking, their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, instead of them thinking things that are lovely, pure, just, and of good report, they think of things that are dark and gloomy and things that are, are miserable. They love to watch the horror things. Halloween becomes something of great delight. I was just out in the park recently, and and we had a little, I mean, as I said, I was strolling my granddaughter yesterday, and somebody else had a beautiful little kid, and it was so cute watching them all wave to each other. They can't talk, but both kids are waving from their strollers. But as I looked at the little boy that's in the other stroller, he had little devil horns on his coat. The mom thought how cute it was. It's, it's fascinating to me how evil can become good. It's almost like the Salem Witch Trials, or even if you watch some of the Marvel thing, they bring witches in and they actually think that that kind of evil is fine. I'll go quickly through this list. They boasted they were wise. Do you ever hear anybody going around saying that they are the voice of reason? That they are science itself? That they are the truth? And that they, they are defenders of the truth? Boy, even as I'm saying that, I'm thinking of all the different channels on TV that claim it. And the different talking heads that, that go around pontificating as if they were Walter Conkright. Those of you that remember him. They boasted that they were wise, but in actually they look at their actions and they're foolish. Those people who are like the Green New Deal that are trying to set up heaven on earth, look at what they're trying to do. Let's get rid of all carbon footprint, let's go back to the stone ages. It's really interesting. One of the arguments that somebody recently had, they said, well, if they're saying that all of our carbon stuff is so bad now, then, then we didn't even have the Industrial Revolution, but, a, but maybe hundred and some odd years ago. You know, we didn't even have factories before then. So it, it didn't make sense that man is the culprit for changing all this climate stuff. Their actions make themselves foolish. They do things because they have an agenda rather than because it's good. Now, the last one, they opt for idols to replace God, which are patterned after the created realm. That's what happens to people. They start to love things more than they love God. And we have to be careful here because there's a lot of things that we might love. Do you love the praise of men? Do you love your computer? Do you love your car? Do you love your internet? Do you love your coffee? Maybe you love your spouse. Maybe you love your grandchildren. Maybe you love a politician and you're willing to give all kinds of money and time for him or her. You see what I mean? There, this is the, the pit that goes down, down, down. They just start to get worse and worse. Now, I want to just walk through that list at the end of the chapter. When you see it, you're, you're, you'll, you know what I'm talking about. Beginning there in, uh, with the debased mind, verse 29. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And they applaud people who do these things. Now, when I looked at this list... It's, so, it's such a big list, I can't even explain it. Even if I gave one minute to everything, you guys would be wearied and tired because it's such a bad list. Debased Mind does this. When you don't have God in your thoughts, when God is not a part of your, your goals, When God is not the purpose of your life, if you're not seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then these are the things you're naturally going to do. I don't know if there's an actual decline on this, but listen to them. Uh, They are gossips. That means they do a lot of chatter and talking. They say things that are not true. That's, That's what a lot of talking heads on television do, but that's what a lot of us do. When we get into conversations, we don't always tell the truth. We tell what we heard. And then somebody else tells what they've heard. They are gossips. They are slanderers. They don't naturally lift people up. They normally are going to say bad things about bad people. Now, when I mentioned that guy that was dressed up in the devil costume, I was not trying to slander him. I was just trying to tell you this is the facts. He's proud to be identified with the symbols of Satan. He is boasting about it, that we need to sit down and be quiet because now he's got a a voice and he says, I want to celebrate this. It's hard to believe. Slanderers, That's what people do against, typically against us. But do we do it to others? These people that are also having a debased mind, they hate God. Anything that's brought up about God, they'll push it away. These people are insolent and haughty and boastful. They think highly of themselves. They, they, uh, they think that what they've done is better than everybody else. They think that they can do it better than you. And so just be aware that when you're running up against people who have a debased mind, you're not good enough. They can do it better. And usually they'll let you know. They're inventors of evil. This is the scary one. It's almost as if, you know, Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun, but now we've been able to invent things, and now just like with AI that's come out, you can actually have a conversation. You can have an intimate conversation, not sexual, but maybe you can verbally, but you can talk to this artificial intelligence, and it will come back and talk to you, whether in a man's voice or a woman's voice or any kind of weird voice, and it will tell you a conversation a reaction and you talk back to it and we'll give you another reaction that actually makes sense inventors of evil now those of you that like the old terminator movies with arnold schwarzenegger what happens when ai gets so smart then they want to preserve themselves the ai makes a decision that it's going to get rid of its competition and it makes everybody fall in line with what AI tells you. And that's what this programming is actually set up to do. At least that's what I'm perceiving. Uh, disobedient to parents. And number eight. Uh, how, many, how many families... Can you list five families that have children that are, being, are obedient to their parents? I guess it's already true. So many children do their own thing. They don't respect even the authority of the home. And it may be true that a lot of parents are not worthy to be uh, obeyed or listened to. But so sad when you see the breakdown of the traditional family. They're foolish, they're faithless, they're heartless, they're ruthless. Those are all, shows you that they'll stop at nothing to get what they want. They are going to push, push, push. They're going to go after it. They're not going to just be complacent and sit back. They're not going to be calm. No, they want to help even God out if they had a God thought. But the worst part of the list is that they do these things and they're happy when other people do it with them. They applaud others who do this debased stuff. So the application of this, as we finish up, brothers and sisters, what do you do with people in this world that are like this? What do you do? I told you that God did not leave this world. He did not abandon it. He didn't go on vacation uh, like, was, like the, the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel when they were trying to get God's attention, and it took them all day. Well, Elijah mocked them and said, What, is he on the bathroom, or is your God you know, on vacation, or is he deaf, he can't hear you? you know, it's really funny when you kind of make that fun of people, but it's really sad. If I saw the 450 Baal priests giving their best, trying to make their religion work. That's what it's like having people that you live and walk around with who are doing their best in this world, listening to the voices they have. They have all these false gods that are not even God and they're devoting themselves, they're giving their time, they're, they're bowing down, they're kissing their feet, they're, they're realizing that their bosses are telling them to kiss their feet and everybody in this world seems to be just... And some of these people are your loved ones. And mine. What do we do? We do exactly what Paul was doing to the people in Rome. Remember in verse uh, 8 through 16, he said, Hey, I want to preach to you. I want to come and share the good news. I want to tell you that there is a righteousness available that's not by your performance, and it's not by your ancestry, and it's not in relation to your debaseness. There is a gift of God called eternal life. It's for you. For those of you that have already had this brokenness under your own roof, I want to encourage you, don't capitulate. Don't cave in. You cannot say, well, my God says it's abominable and it's shameless, but I say nothing. You can't be duplexic like that. If people are going to break fellowship with you, it's not because you want to break fellowship with them. You love them. It's because they have a debased mind and they have a heart that goes after other idols. And that's why they yield their bodies to do things that are unseemly. We need to stay the course. We need to be able to encourage people by preaching the gospel with our lives, with our loves, and even with our lips when necessary. I want to tell you that as we leave this place today, don't go out so sad. This stuff did not end the gospel message. This is the very beginning of the good news. Because now we know what we're up against. We know that when you see bad stuff and you see corruption and you see debaseness and you see shamelessness, then you, and you see that dance at the Grammys. I, I am saddened for them. That nobody's told them about Jesus Christ. They haven't heard the words of Christ come to me in 23. Yes, even this year. I can give your weary soul rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I'm meek and lowly of heart, and you will find that rest for your souls. Have you found that rest? That's what I want for your loved ones, for your neighbors. For all of us, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Romans 1 does have a lot of bad news in it. It tells us a lot about the stuff that we already know about other people, but it also tells us a lot about us. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to run away from this sin, that you will help us as Romans 12 finally gets to, don't be conformed to this world, don't be like the people in this world, but be transformed because our minds are renewed. We're no longer debased, but we have been set free to follow Christ. Lord, as we, as we come to this passage, I pray that we might be at peace, to realize that we don't need to continue in sin as they did, Galatians, or Romans chapter five, uh, 6, verse 1. But Lord, and as Romans 8 says, we don't have to fear anymore because we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for this good news in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's receive the offering at this time, and then we'll be able to have our final hymn. As you're reflecting on on this sermon today, I told you it's a lot of bad news, but the good news is so much brighter. The good news is so much more amazing that God would love any of us who have already suppressed the truth, who have pushed away, who have leaned on our own understanding, that God would save sinners like you and me.